0: You're listening to Aid Evolved, and I'm your host, Rowena Luke. This is a podcast about the people trying to find a better way to do good. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Erica Lair, CEO of DTree International. Under Erica's watch, Dietree changed from being the kind of organization that focused more on technology and tools to one that works hand-in-hand directly with government building digital systems, but then accompanying government to scale and institutionalize these programs. In the hour ahead, we trace her journey as a CEO. We talk about how she was scared, inspired, and guided by Mark Mitchell, the founder of DTree, who passed away two years ago. My favorite part is how she never really thought about herself as a CEO. But when the time came, everyone else in the room knew she was the one for the job just not her. Hope you enjoy our chat today. Here we go. One quick question, Erica, I understand you mentioned you have a one year old at home and two dogs and two cats in addition to a husband in there. How's that? How's that going for you? It sounds like a menagerie. <laughs>
1: it, it, it certainly is. It, it definitely makes for, for a busy life, but a, a very full life. Uh, but what it means <laughs> is that I, I, I schedule and I, I plan and I have my time at work and I have my time outside of work and, and there's not a whole lot of overlap, uh, <laughs> which was, was definitely a, a change for me once once the baby came, but we've been making it work.
0: Nice. Respect. I mean, it's it's amazing for me to hear of a CEO, you know, someone with, in this position making change in the digital health space, who also has a family and a rich personal life as well. Um, so I appreciate you you sharing that piece. I can imagine all sorts of multitasking happening on the professional side and on the personal side.
1: And I think that's something that, that I've, I've worked really hard at over the years. I, I started, you know, a few years ago, I, I definitely didn't have that balance. And when I, when I got pregnant and I knew the baby was coming, it was really important for me to start setting boundaries before the baby came. And, and so I, I started to, you know, have my, my work hours and, and not, not check email outside of that. And it's something that's been transformational for me, really, to help be able to, to manage work and life and, and also something that we're working with our team to, to take on as well.
0: How do you actually, like the dogs and the cats and the baby, they all, they all play together well?
1: The the, the cats do their own thing. So they don't, okay. they don't really play with anybody. They, they mind their own business for the most part. Uh, yeah. Baby is very interested now in, in the dogs and he's, he's 11 months old. So he's starting to crawl. So he'll just kind of come up to them and start patting them. And so far so good. We haven't had any issues, but I can imagine he'll, he'll push it a little bit too far one of these days and, uh, yeah. they might not be so happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually also have an 11 month old as a matter of fact, um, But no pets so far. I think we just don't. Haven't been able to pull that off yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> our, our dogs, all the animals, came with us from Tanzania. Actually, they were all um, oh, wow. street street animals, so we've had them for years. And when we moved from Tanzania to Switzerland, we yeah, we we packed up the whole family. Uh, no baby at the time, but we had the, the the kennels that that went under the plane, and the dog or cats went uh, under our seats, and, and we all made the trip together. So it's been, been An adventure.
0: I understand it's a lot harder to import pets than it is to import children.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) much much more so
0: once I was finished sticking my nose deep into Erica's personal life we did eventually start talking about her professional life I asked Erica how she got into digital health and she told me that she actually wasn't that interested in the digital part of it she was passionate about helping people with HIV AIDS and looking for a job that would help her stay in Tanzania in fact when she first heard about Dietrich, she wasn't that excited
1: I, I saw the job description and I actually, I, I, I didn't want to apply. Um, I, not that I didn't want to, I shouldn't, shouldn't say I didn't want to apply. I, I saw it and I, I just thought, well, I, I don't know, this is digital health. Like what is, what is this field? It's kind of new. You know, I've heard some things about it in, in grad school, but I, I hadn't paid so much attention. Um, oh, man. And then my husband actually came back to me with a job description and said, this looks really interesting. You should, you should apply. Um, so oh. so I, I applied. I um, actually, Mark, Mark Mitchell was one of the first people that I met. Uh-huh. In, in Dietree, he was—he's the founder of of Dietrich. Um He was a, a pediatrician. He'd worked for many, many years with with large NGOs in in, in many different countries globally. And he founded Dietree back in 2004, uh-huh. actually, because he 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 believed that we could do things differently. He believed that that there was a different way to do development work. And I think he saw from a very early stage that. Technology is going to play a role in that. So this was, you know, way before the the field existed. M mm-hmm. Health, digital um, health. He was really quite a pioneer in that space, and and he's one of the first yeah. people I met when I started applying to D Tree when I when I had an interview, and I was. Was really inspired by him, so I came into the the job thinking, well, let me let me find out about this organization. I'm not really <laughs> sure, and then I met Mark. And I mean, if you've met Mark, many in the field know Mark and um, uh-huh. have, had had worked with him. And uh, he's he's a professor at heart for sure, and he's also someone <laughs> that that really tells it like it is. So he was very frank in some of his questions, and I remember <laughs> thinking, wow, like first of all, this is a really exciting organization. I would love to be a part of it, and. I, I'm never going to get this job <laughs> he, oh, no. he asked such hard questions and, and I, I walked away feeling like, wow, I don't, I don't think I, you know, mastered that, that interview. And, you know, he told oh, me man. later, he was really tough on me, you know, as, as the best professors are because he, he saw potential and he really wanted to kind of keep probing deeper and deeper. Um, oh, my you know, heart is racing.
0: Was... <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine because was... you were, you were there, like you wanted to stay in Tanzania. Here's an organization, you interview, and then here's this guy who's grilling you. Oh man. Do you remember any of the questions he asked that you, thought that you failed
1: (laughs) well he was was he was uh, (laughs) Mark was a little bit anti kind of big you know big corporation NGO big funding and 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 the job I had before was with Johns Hopkins it was a USAID funded program and (sighs) at that point I had a a pretty you know a a a package of benefits let's say that is is very generous and and quite frankly Far more than is is necessary for the role that I was mm. I was playing, um, you know, and he was very very skeptical about that and, and the fact that you know <laughs> the the values of Dietrich, which I carry forward now, are you know we don't uh-huh. pay big expat salaries and packages, we don't have cars for people we don't have a housing stipend because equity is so important and we want people who are committed to the work that we're doing not the the benefits package that we're giving them and and so nice. you know i tried to explain this is something that was i, I got this job with with Johns hopkins i didn't didn't ask for this package i would have worked for far <laughs> far, far less and that's not part of my values um but right. you, you didn't know, it create a while john hopkins to, to convince him <laughs> correct <laughs> you're, just, you're
0: just getting a job. <laughs> oh, man, exactly. Sounds that sounds it sounds intense but you made it in combination of of Mark and your husband I'm reading reading for you there um bless your husband for for going through your discarded uh, job options what was your first year to you like what's well you know some of the early projects that you were involved in
1: yeah, so when I started at DTree, I was I was a program manager. So I've I've really, I mean, over the years played uh many roles within the organization. At the beginning, I was managing a, a few different digital health projects. And so this was back in 2014 when I started with DTree. And I think um a combination of both where D has gone and where the field has gone, we we've evolved a lot. But at that time, DTree was building building digital systems for partners. So we were working partnering with larger NGOs. So a couple of my first projects were with Pathfinder International um, or JAPIGO, where um, they contracted DTRI through a, usually a larger, often USAID project, where we would kind of build a digital system as part of a broader health program. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the very first project I worked on was a family planning project where we were supporting development of a digital system to equip community health workers to provide community-based family planning services. Uh, I, was, I was doing pretty much everything. So at that time, we were working <laughs> with uh, software platforms that were kind of a no-code environment. So you didn't have to be a, mm-hmm. a software engineer necessarily. So, yeah, I, Which is good um, for you, because
0: you, you didn't come from a software background. You were on the health correct. side and the program side. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'd, never, I'd never done anything with, with coding or, or software, but you know, I, I, I studied chemistry in college. I think I kind of, I, I love logic and analytical (laughs) thinking and reason and and reason and and for me it was it was so fascinating because this this field the i had the ability to to bring together both this the digital side where, where i was actually building Mobile apps that we were, were using, so I was defining the the workflows and the logic, and then building them. Um, but also working with with the partners, with the government, going going out to the communities that we were working with, and, and talking to the community health workers. And so it was this wonderful nice. mix of you know kind of the very concrete logical science that that part of my brain loves, but then uh-huh. also the you know the real world implementation and how to how to make that work. And, and so for me, that was the most Fascinating part. I realized very early on that it was exactly the right place for me to be at Dietree because I, I just I just really loved this this combination and felt like I was able to put these these different skill sets and, and interests together um, in a job that that was was really fascinating and you know, nice. gave us an opportunity to to uh, to to do real work that mattered so not in a you know theoretical sense but but be be on the ground be be looking every day at the dashboards to see you know what was happening and and working with our partners to continue to to improve the program in the way that, that the services were being delivered
0: nice That sounds like Right from the beginning, when you joined D3, up until now, your job has been do everything. <laughs> Make the whole thing run. <laughs> Although now obviously your your scope has expanded a lot <laughs> since those initial days.
1: <laughs> it's, it's expanded and the team has expanded. So yes, I'm I'm doing far less of, of everything I would say these days. But uh, you know, have have I think I think my early days of being a, a program manager and, and kind of in the trenches with with the team, that's it's helped me so much in my role today as CEO because I, I really do Understand what it is we do, and, and every every sense of the word, and that's that's yeah. helped me a lot to to think, be more strategic, and and also a better better leader of the organization.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that I I personally love about small organizations uh, that are working in this space, because if you're You know, like for me, I'm uh, what I say my superpower is a short attention span. You know, I'm a generalist. (laughs) Uh, And if you if you if you like that, you know, the learning and jumping from different things and seeing the whole picture, uh, then working for a small organization is great. Uh, Because, as you know, coming from a large organization before that in a large organization, you're going to have a very specific role uh, that's cut out for you. And it's going to feel a lot different and and get a lot less exposure than if you're at a small organization and you just kind of have to pull the whole thing together.
1: That that's exactly right. Yes, I think uh, and that works well for some people. That's definitely how how I feel. I love having a variety and and not knowing what every day will entail. Um, it, it doesn't work for everybody, but but it was a, a great a great uh, great place for me to end up.
0: Good to hear. And so it's amazing that you were able to kind of accidentally get into this space where the day to day work was something that matched with your logical brain as well as your desire to work in public health. Was there a time? You know, I think a lot of people end up working in in digital health because they want to work in aid in general and they, you know, the job they get ends up being, you know, in the technology side or innovation side. I'm guessing at some point, particularly now that you run (laughs) DTRI, you got bought into the cause, digital health. That's an intervention that's going to change the world. It's going to make things better. It's not just one of many different things that you could possibly do maybe with your life. (laughs) I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm just curious what there was a face of your time with DTRI or an experience that really, drove that home for you where you were like, yeah, like digital health, it's not just the job that I'm going to have for a couple of years. Like, I'm really going to commit to this uh, this space of work in the aid sector.
1: I think it, it comes back to our work in Zanzibar, actually. So DTRI has been working in Zanzibar since since 2010. And so the program had been going on for several years uh, before I started with DTRI. And I, I learned about the program. And then a, a couple of years into working with DTRI, I actually managed the, the program. Um, what I what I saw was we we had a program where basically demonstrating together with the government how how mobile tools could support community health workers. To um, at that point the focus was really on get pregnant women to deliver in health facilities. So support them to develop a birth plan. Make sure that they had transport lined up. To engage community drivers to to make sure that the women had uh, money saved so that they could. Um, to pay for that transport and pay for other costs at, at the health facility. And, you know, what we were really trying to do is, is look at, you know, what are these factors that, that are needed in order to support facility deliveries? You know, of course, none of that has to do with technology, but technology was the way that we, we um, delivered the, the the services. So community health workers had these tools that really walked them step-by-step through, through visits that, that supported them to engage with, with male partners, for example, um, so that, that, husbands were able to engage in these visits and uh, agree in advance, basically give permission that the woman could deliver in a health facility, as we know that that is one of, one of the barriers. Um, you know, the, the mobile app could help to save um, the amount of money that a woman has saved and help advise on how she can save more money. All of these things that if they didn't have that technology, you know, yes, they could do some things but they wouldn't have been able to deliver these services in, in such a, a high quality way. At, at the same time, you know, now their supervisors were, were seeing what they were, were doing and, and, and able to support them in real time to say, you know, hey, you, you made these visits last week, you didn't make this visit, really specific feedback. And that to me showed me like this is wildly different from the way that, um, that, that, that community health services have been delivered in the past. And yeah. and there's there's huge huge potential. Um, in addition to to that, what I saw was the government's interest, which has has grown over time. Um, and and now we're supporting the government um, as as they've taken this program on, and they're they're now scaling nationally. Um, but to wow. see that that they were starting to also see, and even back in those early days, that there, there's something going on here that that's really exciting because now there's there's this data available that they can use for for not only just high level decision making, but to tailor. What services um you know or what what resources are needed where because all of a sudden we can see that this district is 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 struggling in these these certain areas um and so it was this combination of this whole kind of systems approach that I saw of how technology is really transforming every level of the health system um, and to me that's tremendously exciting and and I would say at the same time as that, you know, the, the global field was catching up. So WHO was working on their digital health guidelines and has and now formalized that. And, and countries are starting to develop digital, national digital health strategies to, to guide digital health implementation. So, you know, we've been kind of, you know, moving along for for several years trying to really develop evidence and, and to show, yes, you know, a, a mobile app in the hands of a, a community health worker, a frontline health worker can improve health service delivery, it can improve health outcomes. Um, and at the same time, you know, the rest of the field was also seeing this this potential. So I think there was a lot of convergence. And and so all of those things together made me really excited about about the space and the, the time and and the potential for the years to come.
0: Nice. And it's great to see that evolution from a more research and evidence agenda that, that you had to when it was actually getting taken up by the government and implemented in programs, um, being more on the programmatic quality that is also your 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 focus, even though you have the experience on the research side, as it were. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you. Like when we can see health systems being delivered in a way that's fundamentally different than has ever been done before, and the, the small role that technology plays in in changing the larger system, uh, I think that's, that's hugely exciting and hugely motivating. Erica, I'd love to chat a bit with you about, you know, in the more recent years, particularly your your step uh, into becoming the CEO of DTRI, because I'm sure that was a big it was a big change for you, and and for the organization um, as well. Was what was what was that like? <laughs> what was the moment where like you, you you knew that you were even being considered for the job, and and what was the what was going on in your head when you considered it? Yeah, it, it,
1: I remember it clearly. It was December of yeah. twenty seventeen, and we were you know meeting as a group, and and so Mark, you know, he he had founded Dietree many years ago. Mm. He was. Almost 70 he <laughs> uh, was, was kind of ready ready to retire and, and we knew it was kind of time to, to shift um, shift the leadership of the organization and, and we had a, kind of a strategic planning meeting in in Washington DC after the Global Digital Health forum and had had these conversations about you know what's what's next for the organization what direction are we going and it was at that point that you know it it became clear that that it was you know mark was was going to to step back and and take on the role of, of chairperson of the board and at the same time that we we really we didn't really even consider bringing in somebody externally i think it was it was kind of clear that that we we were moving in in a good direction and the role that I had been been playing at that point, I was chief program officer, um, was moving into a more strategic role. And and, and so I think, everyone else but me maybe recognized that um, and kind of said, well, well, of course it's going to be Erica. And I said, what? <laughs> wait a minute. That, was, that wasn't the plan. Um, I, I had never, you know, as you think about like career goals, CEO was never ever something that was that was on my mind or that I, I thought oh, about. Um, I think it was just a, you know, a natural progression of, of how the organization was growing and I was engaging with, with the organization and, and maybe kind of, you know, seeing, seeing where, we could go and how we could fit into the broader field that that seemed to everyone else like a a natural fit.
0: So they came to you and they didn't, they weren't considering any other options at the time. They were like, Hey, Eric, do you want, what do you think?
1: Pretty, pretty much. (laughs) 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 And and so that's the point where I thought, ha, first, first I thought, oh my goodness, I, I, there's no way I can, I can take this eye. And then I, I, it sounds intimidating.
0: I'll be honest, you know,
1: (laughs) It was intimidating, you know, and I had been doing this for at the point at that time four years working with Dietrich, you know, I had experience but not at at that level of of kind of leadership experience. And so it was a a pivotal moment for sure. And I just I remember talking to Mark one day and he just said, You're you're already doing this. Like you don't realize (laughs) it, but you're already Doing it. And I see <laughs> something in you that you certainly don't see in yourself right now, but you will. And, you know, I have Amazing. full confidence. And so having the, the founder, you know, this is his baby, you know, he cares deeply about Dietrich, and for right. to have his confidence in this, I, I, it really, really helped me to, to feel like, yes, this is this is something that. I, I can do. I'm going to give it everything I have and, and jump in and, and, and try. And it's been a great experience since. So I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And um, it, it definitely wow. gave me the chance to, to just learn a whole different aspect about, you know, leadership and um, I can and, imagine and, and running an organization that <laughs> I, I wouldn't have imagined, but I, I've loved, I love that learning curve. It's, it's been a great journey.
0: How long did you have to think about it when, when they first started talking about it and you were like, well, I'm I'm sure it wasn't, right away that you said yes
1: (laughs) no no it was it was like mid-december and so then we were all sort of going on on break for the end of the year and and so Mm -hmm. i I thought about it i feel like you know I, i kind of knew deep down after i had that conversation with mark i kind of knew like okay yes this I, I can do this. Um, yeah. Obviously needed to talk to my husband because it was a <laughs>
0: massive, oh, <that> guy.
1: <laughs> massive shift and, you know, lots of questions. Are we staying in Tanzania? Are we moving? Uh, but in the end, we, we, you know, realize I, I can do this from from anywhere, you know, and, and Tanzania makes a lot of sense. So we, we, we stayed in Tanzania. We yet yeah, decided I, and then I came back from from the, the, the winter break in January and, and was kind of ready to go and, and hit the ground running. And then we made the announcement in uh, April, I think, of 2018.
0: What a Christmas that must have been for you! Yes. <laughs> Reflecting on the change ahead, and like amazing and phenomenal to hear about how Mark lifted you up. I think for for a lot of us that are more humble or shy, or you know, like you know, as as you're saying, you don't think of yourself as a CEO. Um, having that that voice to tell you, like, yes, Erica, you can do this, <laughs> is really is really essential to that success story. How did you navigate that in the months, uh, in the months, and the years after that? Because it's as we said, you know, as we're talking about, it's intimidating. Here's, here's Mark Mitchell. He's an institution in and of himself. But now you're stepping in as CEO. And I think that's fantastic for the organization because it, it shows that you can, you can move, you know, from one leadership to the other. And you're not just attached to one person. But for you, you know, as the new CEO, there's this fine balancing line of how much to stick with the old way and how much to bring your particular flavor and style of leadership into the picture. So what was that? What was that balancing act like for you?
1: It took a a little bit of time, I would say. Mark and I worked. We worked really closely together. He was still heavily involved at at the beginning. Um, And I think we had a conversation one day, and and Mark, he he recognized, and he said, look, you need to be the leader. You know, I'm, I'm not anymore, and I want to support you, but... Dietrich needs to move in, in the direction of your vision. And and so oh. he, he really took Yikes. a bit of a step back, which I think was really hard for him at the time, but he realized that that was what was necessary. Um, and, and so it was, it was those months, 2018, I would say that Dietrich did start to make a, a pretty pivotal shift. And, you know, part of it, I, I think, no, Mark, so Mark's vision with DTRI, and I think many people in the field know DTRI around um, clinical decision support. If you say DTRI, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And, and, and when Mark founded DTRI, it was um, because he he specifically could see that technology, um, that the mobile apps can can provide that, that electronic clinical decision support in order to guide a health worker, you know, step by step through a visit. And so in the early days, um, we were digitizing IMCI and you know, doing doing studies around that. And I think to some extent, DTRI had become known as the, the the decision support organization. And what what I really started seeing is that that is critical. And we've been able to demonstrate that decision support is, a, is an integral part of how technology can improve health service delivery and health systems, but it's not the whole picture. And so if we are really going to make a long-term impact, we need to broaden our focus so that we're looking at not only how, the, the technology is guiding a health worker, but how you know how that how that data is being leveraged for the rest of the health system? How are supervisors really using the the data coming? How can that improve the way that they interact with with those that they they work with? How are district health teams using using that data to make real informed decisions? And and then governments and you know we have to take that full systems approach. And and be you know to some extent more um, you know more cross cutting as an organization um, so that we can have a broader reach in order to to really support the long term institutionalization of, of technology and so we made a couple of really big changes in in 2018. Yeah, and, and just then, emphasize like um, that
0: so- that does yeah. sound like a massive change to like the core identity of an organization. Um, like I, I can imagine all sorts of implications for that kind of a strategic shift. Sorry, please go on.
1: Yes, yes, there were there were there were many, um, but, but I, <laughs> and, and I think a lot of this was was inspired and influenced by our work in Zanzibar. Because as mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, when I came on, I was I was a project manager where we were essentially building technology for other organizations to to implement. Our work in Zanzibar has always been different, where tree was was kind of the lead implementer together. With the government, and you know, I saw that, huh. that that kind of relationship was was very different in in the programs where we were just building a, a digital system and, and kind of passing it off to a partner. You know, that served the the purpose of of you know helping them to meet their their goals for a, a donor funded project, which was often time bound, which was often very specific and focused on the health outcome. It wasn't focused on. The long-term uh, institutionalization of the digital technology within a, within a health system, and so in in Zanzibar, in contrast, you know, we we were in the driver's seat. We were working with the government, and and we were able to um, think influence the the thinking around policy and around you know long-term planning for for a program, and we could see how that. Can have such such a longer term impact, um, and so that yeah. was really the the shift that 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 we made to say we want to go away um, not completely but but as much as possible move away from these these shorter term projects where we're more of a almost a technology vendor and shift into a role where we're really the the, the trusted digital health partner with governments where we stick around <laughs> where we have a, a diverse team that's able to support the governments as their their both um kind of developing their vision for digital digital health and, and then mm-hmm. realizing that vision, which which means that that you need to be there on the ground and you know accompany them as they, they go through these stages.
0: Yeah. So, and let me just unpack a bit about uh what this shift means for the benefit of our audience. You know, like there's two different kinds of organizations that you're talking. Like this is the evolution that DTR went through initially as an organization that's focused on the digital intervention. Uh, then your your focus is very much on on the product side, on the technology, on like a specific kind of intervention, and honing that maybe in multiple different contexts or geographies. And but strategically, you're like you're only focused on like can I get a particular technology or a particular intervention, uh, which is one part of a health system. To uh, a certain level of, of polish or completeness. With this shift, you're building on the success that you saw in Zanzibar, and that was a big personal inspiration for you as well. Uh, to a much more holistic picture of what is the change that we're trying to do with a government, and that that and the nice thing about that is that then you can focus on the actual outcomes, like how are we changing the overall health system, how is it proving, how is it being how is it being taken up from an organizational perspective. I think it pulls you in a lot of different directions. you know it means that, okay, maybe last year you're working on the mobile app, and next year you're going to work on the data, and like in three years, you know maybe you'll help out on on some, on some different pieces, um, just depending on what the needs of the government are um, and And Erica, I'd love to hear you talk a bit more about how you how you navigate that, particularly as a smaller. Organization, you know, there's there's a lot of different a lot, a lot of different moving pieces, and for an organization that's taking that kind of strategy, knowing your your niche and their, your partnerships' uh, role within that uh, is obviously a key part to the success that you're going to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was um, it, it did take some time to really look at what what does D3 need to look like then? Because our model yeah. in the past had been, you know, yes, we were building technology, but we actually weren't building it in-house and we, we never have had our own software platform. And that's also important for us. We don't want to kind of have our own technology product that we're pushing, but rather be able to adapt to the needs of government to understand the context and and, and build systems, digital systems out of the, the software that makes the most sense. And there's a lot of fantastic groups out there that are building building software. You know, that's that's not where we wanted to, to be working in. But before the shift, we were working, um, you know, just with a couple of, of, of companies and kind of almost outsourcing that. So, so we didn't have a, a technology team in-house. And when we made this shift, we realized, you know, if we really want to have impact, the people building building the technology that are, well, customizing, let's say, the technology um, from these these often open source global goods software platforms that already exist, they need to be on the ground. You know, we can't have somebody sitting in an office somewhere and just hear from someone in Zanzibar what they need to build. You know, that's, that's the model that I've seen in the past and, and quite Frankly, I, I don't think it works very well because you end up with something that gets lost in translation. And so our model of having, you know, local software developers sitting on, on the ground in, in the places that we're working, sitting right next to our, our program managers and right next to the government advisor and, and attending meetings with our government counterparts, that's how we can really make sure that we understand the context, we understand the need, and we can we can map that to The the technology that exists and and technology that's being developed, and so we actually built out kind of a a, a technology team where we can work across different software platforms. So depending on on where we're working, if the government has decided um, to standardize on a a certain software, you know, we can we can support that. Um, We can help them to analyze different platforms and assess what makes the most sense for them, and then and then help to build tools with that. Um, So that's been an important shift, and, and we have. We have developers in Zanzibar now. We're working with the Community Health Toolkit um, in mainland Tanzania. We have a, a team that's that's building with OpenSRP, as that's what the government has um, standardized on. And in, in Malawi, um, we're, we're we're starting a new program and, and building a team now where we'll be working with DHIS2, because again, that's what the government has standardized on. So you mm-hmm. know that that I think is an important distinction where we're not just coming in with with a certain a certain software, but rather able to adapt to the needs. The other the other side that I think we really build. Up, we, we've always had kind of strong program management um, capabilities on our team, but was was around the government engagement because mm-hmm. you know when you're working with a partner, they're managing the government engagement. When when we are, are are in the driver's seat, we we realize what what I've come to to realize, I think, is is. The government engagement is just as important as as the technology, and and oh, I think that's something yeah, we've learned absolutely. along the way. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 kind of the everything non technology related is 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 more important than the tech, and and too often so much emphasis is placed on you know building the perfect app. Mm-hmm. But what I've come to learn is that you know if you don't have that strong strong buy in from from the government and the excitement around the potential of this system, then that's a really, really nice project that's going to die in a few years. And so, you know, we we've right. really built up our government engagement team. And I think now we have this really multidisciplinary team in the places that we're working. You know, we also have, have kind of global support of, of, of advisors that are, are are supporting them. But having that team on the ground has been instrumental in, in helping us to, to really move forward.
0: What was it like pulling the trigger on this change? You know, like I, I, I would, again, like, you know, in your shoes... I imagine I I would have been tempted to be like, okay, let's stay the course. Let's keep things the same, (laughs) you know, just because you don't want to you don't want to mess things up on your first year on the job or, you know, stuff like that. Um, But you had the courage to dive in because you knew what you saw in Zanzibar and you wanted to replicate that success. What was that? How did you screw up the courage? (laughs) Sorry, that's not the right word. How did you come up with the courage to do that?
1: It it, it was scary. I mean, I'll be honest. (laughs) I remember having having a meeting with, with some of our team in Zanzibar when we were discussing this and, and, there were a lot of uncertainties you know as i look yeah. at this it was it was a a massive shift and so that meant that you know we needed to to get the team behind it certainly but also also funders behind it so that they could could come on board and, and fund this work and the shift that we were making was going from largely responding to requests for proposals where someone says we want you to build x y and z to saying we are going to do this, and now we are going to look for funders who are aligned with that mission, um, who buy into that, and want to fund fund it. Uh, you know, to really put us more in the driver's seat together with our government partners. So it, it was it was a big risk, and I, I think. Um, the, the, the team and the board was tremendously supportive, which was was incredible. And and you know serendipitously we also had a couple of funders come on right about that time that that enabled us this shift, um, that gave us, you mm-hmm. know, sufficient funding in order to to have some time to to really redesign the way that we were were thinking about our work. And and that was, I think, really catalytic in terms of us being able to to build up Strong team that we needed um, that maybe mm. didn't exist before, and and then to to use that momentum to to bring on more and more co funding. And I think what we've seen is that there's a need for this. You know, there's not a lot of groups doing this. You have the technology groups, you have the health groups, or you know, as, as some people say that you know the the, 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 the technical groups and the implementers. And, and I think we really merge, kind of blur those lines. We're we're right at the middle there, and. You know, what what I've seen is that it's worked really well in Zanzibar. We're we're actually talking to the government in in Zambia right now because they've seen this approach and have invited us now to come and and kind of replicate that and help them as they're thinking about digitizing their community health system. Um, and every time we we talk to groups, they say, well, well, yeah, that that's really needed because that's that's the missing link. I think we're kind of the the glue that holds together all of these different pieces and and sticks around for the long term. Um, and, and and so, you know, it. It, it, it was it was challenging at first, but now I feel like we're on a on a good pathway and we're able to really articulate where we're going and, and why there's a need for for this within the field.
0: Yeah, I mean that's exactly why Sebastian Manhart called out Dietrich in, in the previous episode of this podcast. He was like it's a much it's a much needed gap, uh, and Dietrich is filling that gap. But are there any other ways in which you've seen your personal leadership style influence Dietrich or shape it? Like looking at Dietrich now versus Dietrich five years ago, what are some other changes in the organization that you think reflect your leadership?
1: Interestingly, I took on the CEO role. And then within that same year, this is when we got kind of an influx of, of funding coming in at that point from Foundation Boettner, um, which is a, a Swiss foundation that's, that's really looking at kind of the intersection of, of, of you know, health and well-being and, and technology. So our team was growing at the same time. And so, you oh, know, we, we kind of had this oof. rapid growth. And a lot of you know, when I was lot of change. And so I was trying to, you know, to, to figure out how to how to lead the organization in general, but also lead us through this this growth and and thinking about bringing new staff on. So um yeah. I I could have developed a network I would say of, of you know other CEOs or leaders in the space and, and just started picking people's brains and understanding nice. how do you handle these 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 challenges? You know what, what do you do nice. in terms of you know with the culture of the organization and performance management and, and professional development and, and these areas oh, um, did, a, did a ton of reading, you know, this is not, <laughs> not related to digital, but just organizational development. Um, and, and podcast uh,
0: listening, don't forget that. And,
1: and podcast listening. Yes, absolutely. And <laughs> I learned, I learned a ton. And um, so we've, we've, we've implemented, I, I think, a lot in terms of thinking about kind of the organizational culture. And we've introduced um, OKRs, which, you know, is, yeah. is famous from from Google. To, Objectives to to and key results. The team. Yes, <laughs> objectives and key results, and you know, still working through that. It's it's definitely not perfect, but it is a way that we are you know aligning our team, empowering people at, at all levels of the organization, but making sure that we're moving in in the same direction. And so this year we you know developed kind of organizational OKRs. That was really a process of bringing in voices from the whole team. The other, the other thing that that I did, that I think was really important, or that we did, I should say, at Dietree is, is to develop <laughs> our first ever strategic plan, and um, we'd never, we'd never had one before, and I, I think a lot of that was, you know, you know, Mark, he he had an idea of where Dietree was going, and was always a bit hesitant to put things on paper because he would say, well, what if it changes? And you now, but what we realized is we need we need something that is aligning us in the direction we're going, and and yes, things change. And you know what, if they do, Mm -hmm. we can, we can revisit and and redo and and kind of, you know, iterate as we go. But I found it really important that we had that kind of gold standard of like, where, where are we going? And, and that was, that was a process. It took, I think about a year, um, lots of, of, you know, meetings with stakeholders and the team and drafts and revisions, but the product was something that I'm, I'm really proud of. And I think it's been really important for DTree, um, You know, and it's helped to articulate that shift from moving from projects into these much longer term programs and and focusing on government partnerships and impact. And I think we've done a really good job of of generally following that um, and are are moving in this direction and and achieving a lot of what we're we're setting out to do. So that's that's been been important, I think, for for me, as well as the the organization.
0: Nice. Amazing. Eric, I'm going to ask you one last question before we switch over to the rapid fire and it's about your journey as a CEO. Do you have any guidance for other people that are stepping into the role of CEO, you know, particularly women or people who might not you know, normally think of themselves as CEO material? Since you've walked that path, uh, do you have any guidance for future leaders?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean when I when I came into this role, definitely there were feelings of doubt. I would look at other CEOs. and and to be honest, I was very intimidated. You know they are such eloquent speakers. They have everything <laughs> under control. They have such a, a vision for where the field is going. And you know what was so interesting to me as I started linking up with with various CEOs and and, and others in in the space, I realize that that's not the case. You know, everybody is is insecure. Everybody feels like you know they're looking at, at, at somebody else and, and, and kind of envious. And you know, that we we're all in the same in the same boat essentially. That's awesome. So I think you know, first of all, just know that you know everybody has these insecurities. Um, I think for me, what has been incredibly valuable. Number one, you know, linking with others, having that, that kind of, you know, really trusted relationship. When, when uh, I was just talking to another CEO lately and, and he mentioned, you know, I feel like these are, you know, kind of one third strategy and kind of understanding what, what we're doing from an organizational perspective and, and two thirds therapy, <laughs> because we're just <laughs> talking about you know, is so important. The, the challenges that we face. Um, the <laughs> other thing that's been really critical is that we started working. Um, I started working with an executive coach about three, three years oh. ago, maybe, yeah. um, i never worked with one before. And and she's just been absolutely phenomenal. When when I took on this role, you know, I think moving from a programmatic kind of technical role into a leadership role, it's not a clean cut from one day to the next. Okay, now all (laughs) of a sudden I'm doing this role. So it took me a long time to make that shift. I think she was absolutely uh, inspirational and helping helping me develop the skills that I need to be know, a coach rather than uh, an, an implementer and an executor kind of um, and, and, and to build the, the capacity of, of my team to be able mm-hmm. to do a lot of the things I was doing um, yeah. and, and also to to say no, to be able to separate, you know, what it, what I was doing, the, the, the wisdom that she gave me that I, I think about almost every day is to say, what is the highest impact thing that you can spend your time on today? And I think
0: about that. I all love the time. That. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. Because, you
1: know, you have all these email, there's all these yeah. little tasks, but what is the highest yeah. impact thing? And, and often that really does change how I, how I structure my day and, and what I yeah. focus on, because I remember, you know, some of these initiatives that I need to work on are long-term and they, they, they're not immediate, but, but they're absolutely mission critical for the success of DTRI in our future. And so I, you know, try to make sure that I'm, I'm focusing on that rather than, than some of the um, more immediate concerns that often come up.
0: Right, I'm going to write that on the wall on top of my computer. <laughs> so thank you to your your coach. That's that's great guidance. Wow, Erica, I know another big change that happened with Dietrich that I think everyone in the industry heard about was the untimely passing of Mark Mitchell, whom you've spoken about a lot on this in this interview. How did that affect you and the work that you were doing as a as a newly minted CEO? What happened there?
1: Yeah, it was. Um... A bit over two years ago now, and I, I remember clearly, I was actually in Washington, D.C. at the time with some partners in our team and, and got a, an email when I woke up in the morning that Mark had been actually on vacation with his wife and, and some friends in Alaska, and they were hiking, and um, he was completely fine, and then he collapsed. Oh, no. And he died instantly of a heart attack. I mean, it was absolutely out of the blue. And I, I, I remember, actually, it was the time that we were working on our strategic plan, and the day before he left for vacation, I got an email saying, you know, I had a look, I'm, I'm going on vacation, but I'm going to review it. And I really, really look forward to, to digging in more when I'm back. And, you know, it was just it was cut so short. It was shocking to to everybody. I mean, he was in, yeah. in great health. He was 70 years old. He'd really, you know, at this point, he'd really kind of stepped back from Tree and he was retired and he was a grandpa and you're just able to to love life. And it was, it was devastating for his family, for
0: all of us. Oh man. Yeah. Like devastating for, for his family, for the industry, and even for where you were at with d and everything that was going on, you know, you're right in the middle of, you, you hadn't finalized a strategic plan. You're doing, putting the finishing touches on it. And then, and then to get news like that must've completely taken the wind out of your sails.
1: It really did. Yeah. It was a really, really difficult time, but I I will say I'm so grateful. I mean, he was a a huge mentor and and such an inspiration for me from when I started at DTRI, but but that we had about a year and a half together since I took over as a CEO role. And I I feel like our relationship changed when that that change took place. And I I got to know him on such a a deeper, more personal level. And I, I, even despite the short time, had I think learned a huge amount from him that I've, I've taken with me today, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But um, yeah, it, it, it really it really shook us all, and I think it cemented for us the need to continue Dietrich and Mark's legacy and make sure that what we are doing is going towards his North Star. And what what he always said, the vision of Dietrich is to ensure that everyone, no matter who they are, where they are, has access to high quality healthcare. And even though we 've made these shifts in the organization and foundational changes, I would say we 're still moving towards that north star and that 's something that i I keep with me and it helps to align as i 'm making decisions. you know Are we doing this in mark 's vision? Is this something he would be proud of, and I, I think it's it 's helped to, to 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 bring the organization together and 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 we 're all really motivated to continue doing that work that he started
0: wow that 's phenomenal to hear. There's a lot of organizations that get founded and they exist only because of the, the R or the glow or the reputation of, of its founder. I think it's a real testament to Mark's legacy that Dietrich continues on under your leadership, you know, that it's evolving, that it's growing. It's not just, it's not just a one-man organization. It's a living mechanism that, that he helped to create, but that you're carrying forward and that's going to evolve under your leadership. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Just a few quick questions to wrap up our show. First question for you, Erica, is: Do you have any asks or requests for donors or policymakers who might be listening to this podcast?
1: Yes, I would. I mean, <laughs> among many, if I have to pull out maybe one, maybe just one, I would one or is, two, It's <laughs> um, to really understand the need for long-term partnership. Too too often I find that donors they want to fund something for three years, for four years, and then, you know, quote unquote hand it over to the government. And when we're talking about digital transformation, it's it's a major change and it doesn't happen overnight. You know, the field is still evolving. There's a long lot that we need to learn about, you know, what does it take to, to really institutionalize digital technology within government health systems and that that takes time, it takes it takes gaining trust of, of governments um, and being able to support them and, and have not only long-term funding, but flexible funding to allow us to, to change as needs evolve and grow. Um, and I, I don't see enough of that. And I think that's, that's really necessary if we really want to, to have an impact.
0: 100% agree. I'm going to put in a quick teaser for a future podcast episode that we have from a USAID, a woman who's worked in USAID for 12 years, uh, who actually dives into why it is on her side that it's hard to do multi-year programming. But she also agrees <laughs> that that is the path to impact. Um, and so there's something institutional there for, for us all to think about and tackle. Erica, do you, is there a kudos or shout out you'd like to offer to another mover or shaker in this field? yeah
1: um so one one organization that I've been incredibly impressed with is is called jacaranda health um, they're working in in Kenya under the leadership of of um, Safi Rajasekharan and, and Nick Pearson they're really they're a health organization but they've embraced technology and innovation um, first developing maternity hospitals that significantly reduced maternal mortality by by doing things differently by using data by using innovation um, and now they're branching out more into the the public health space and, and, and really, really adapting with with technology. And I, I think their work is just just really incredible um, and, and they're growing quickly. And, and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about them in the coming years.
0: Nice. Is there a common implementation mistake you see from other people that are trying to do projects or programs in the digital health space?
1: I think it's putting too much emphasis on the technology. I think that if you look at at most most projects, 70, 80 percent is. Building the perfect app, you know, and, and getting it in the field, and I've mentioned this earlier, but but that's the, the least of our concern. You know, this, yes, technology is important, but um, we don't focus enough on on how are we going to to put in place processes and systems to support people who are using these tools to use them effectively and to to, to sustain that. So I, I really I think that we need a much more holistic approach when we talk about digital health.
0: Agreed. Is there a resource you use to stay up to date on what's going on in this industry?
1: Honestly, I think one of the best is the, the Global Digital Health Network, which is, a, you know, a mailing list of, at this point, thousands of, of professionals working in digital health. Um, I feel like we, you know, you get interesting articles, you get job posts, there's just questions from the field. And it's, it's been a, a really great way to kind of stay up to date on, on what the field is doing and, and see what's, what's coming out to, to stay on top of.
0: Last question, just for fun. Is there a book, a blog or a podcast that you've been enjoying recently that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: yeah so i mean one that's totally unrelated to, to digital health but yeah maybe maybe you don't want to include this actually in the, in the podcast <laughs> go, for but, it. go for it i've been reading i've been reading a ton of parenting books because i'm a new mom and you know yeah? uh, personally i feel so unprepared you know, you go to you go to school for for you know 20 years to to learn a technical skill and then you have a baby and there's, there's me no about user manual so i know ton of
0: books why is this not and part I'm, of the school system
1: <laughs> yes yeah, so, and so you know i you know coming from a very scientific perspective i want to understand like what does the science say and you know how can you translate that again is something that works so i found a book that i i really enjoying right now that i'm reading is how to talk to kids so they will listen and and listen so kids will talk uh, by adele faber and I'm, I'm finding it really fascinating again to kind of they're translating you know what what the research says and like what does that actually mean when your your toddler's throwing a tantrum and you know um <laughs> in, in the middle of a store and, and how can you you translate that so um yeah not not at all related to digital health uh might not but, want to include that but
0: no, no. Actually, I've, you know, I've I've read that book. My husband has read that book. And I've actually seen that book recommended in many fora for business leaders. I know it's targeted at kids, but turns out a lot of the the mechanisms and the lessons in there, you know, people just want to be heard. They want to have their emotions understood. They want, you know, someone to listen and not try to dismiss, you know, how they're feeling, that kind of stuff. That's true for all humans. And maybe, you know, some, it's helpful to think of it as a kid. Um, but it's it's helped me and my husband communicate with each other. And at work, too, as well. So I'm definitely keeping it in. <laughs>
1: Fantastic.
0: <laughs> uh, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show and for sharing your story. This was a fascinating conversation. Great.
1: I really enjoyed it. Thanks
0: so much. Do you remember that Zanzibar program? The one Erica said inspired her when she first joined Dietree, Also the one that led her to change the strategy of the organization? That program is currently being scaled up across Zanzibar, which basically has its own independent health system. It's been written into the government's long-term strategy, which never happens. And since we recorded this podcast with Erica, that system has now been deployed at national scale, meaning that every Zanzibari now has access to a digitally enabled community health worker at their doorstep. If you'd like to learn more about Erica and her work, you can find their website at dtree.org. That's d dot o-r-g. That's it for today. See you next time.